Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 272. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I am excited to share with you a conversation I had with New York Times bestselling author Nicole Lappin. Now, Nicole has been someone whose name has been constantly floated to me as someone who I share a lot in common with. And that turns out to be very true. Nicole and I both have our careers really focusing on empowering women in the workplace. And Nicole has a specific focus around personal finance. And we both share a personal experience with complete and total burnout. They're different, of course. Everyone's unique in that regard. But I was really excited to learn more about Nicole and sit down with her for a conversation about health and wealth especially mental and physical health during this bizarre time in our history. We talk about how that relates to our work lives and how we can think about sustaining ourselves and our success, whatever that means to us, through a global pandemic. So enjoy this conversation with Nicole Lappin and let me know what you think about what we discussed on social media. Tag me at Emily Aries or at bossedup.org or on our blog at bossedup.org slash episode 272. Now, if you haven't heard of Nicole before, she is a New York Times bestselling author and financial journalist. She was the youngest anchor ever at CNN and went on to claim the same title at CNBC, where she anchored the only global finance show on the network, Worldwide Exchange, while contributing financial reports to MSNBC and Today. Her most recent book, Becoming Superwoman, a simple 12-step plan to go from burnout to balance, was released last September in 2019. And today she's here to chat with me about what becoming superwoman means to her and how to overcome burnout, especially when you're struggling with not only mental illness, but chronic physical illness, because Nicole also struggles with migraine. So Nicole Lappin, welcome to the Boston Podcast. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be in good boss company. Right? I feel like we have a lot in common. I was a fast-rising political operative about a decade ago now before I completely and utterly hit my burnout rock bottom. And I know you have a similar story. I'd, I'd love to first just ask you to tell us a little bit about how you've arrived at this career focused on, yes, empowering women to get their money, get that ambition, unapologetically, but also to not burn out along the way. Can you share with us how you arrived at that? Well, I'm the least likely person to be talking about any of this. 
I grew up in an immigrant family, so first-generation American. We never talked about any of this stuff. Uh, We never talked about money, business, burnout, mental health, migraine, forget about it. Like, none of that entered our conversation. It was just like, be tough, uh, you know, work hard. If you have cash, buy something. If you don't, like you're out of luck. And I really was so clueless about all of these conversations. I smiled and nodded and, and was embarrassed to ask basic questions. And the only way I got to where I am today and actually not only talking about it, but teaching other people about it is because I just needed a job, Emily. Like I needed a job and I faked it till I made it. And I basically lied. And I said, I knew about business and money and all these things. And I worked out the hard way at the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. And there are some pros and some cons to that approach, right? I feel like you can you can fail fast, as they like to say in the startup world, and also learn fast. So you were the youngest anchor ever at both CNN and CNBC, I believe. And so it's it's by no means a bad strategy to, to fake it till you make it. And it's clearly paid off in some domains. Tell us about the point in your life when you had to reckon with that moment of diminishing returns where more hard work, more hustle is no longer yielding the same results. Yeah, it's a great business terminology that I think about a lot when it comes to that hustle life. Uh, there is a point, as you know, of diminishing returns where you know you can't stare at your computer for one more hour. You're not going to get an aha moment. Uh, and every time you do, your brain is like, no, <laughs> no dice. Get outside and take a walk or something like that. But I self-prescribed, you know, work for myself for many, many years to hide from a broken home and um, upbringing. And at a certain point, I had reached all the goals I wanted in my life, which is like super high class problems. And I remember when I was in local news, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Lexington, Kentucky, and um, like working my way up, I didn't have any connections or any of that stuff. And one of the local papers asked to me, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I was like, if I could say Nicole Lapp in CNN before I die, I'll die a happy woman. And getting there at 21 made me rethink what it means to be a happy woman. And I kept raising the bar. And when you do that, you never get your brain to the other side of happiness because there's always another there there. And so I mm. just kept, you know, uh, kept working and working some more. And as you know, there is no external solution for an internal problem. And that's what I was looking for. And after I had reached those goals, I wanted a book and then I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller and then I wanted another one. And it like never became enough. And I reached my own personal rock bottom breaking point after the launch of my second book. And I remember being on my third book tour. um, And my team was like, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it wasn't the book tour. It wasn't one particular thing. You know, I say in Becoming Superwoman, which was my third book, it wasn't a spontaneous combustion precipitated by a single event, but a lifetime of smoldering embers that finally caught fire and incinerated everything in its path. I totally can relate to that. I think everyone has their embers, right? And thankfully, we live in a world where getting help is becoming more and more socially acceptable, but not fast enough and not for everyone. 
So what did that look like, stepping back, acknowledging, hey, I've been numbing, not through drugs and alcohol, with a much more socially acceptable, even socially rewarded strategy, which is burying myself in work, which I know lots of people like that. And when you step back, clear the decks and say, okay, I clearly cannot keep working the way I've been working. It's really not working in a sustainable way. In that moment of silence, I certainly felt this way myself. I was called to actually look deeply at what was going on, (laughs) what I'd been distracting myself from by overwork. Uh, And that stuff is the hard, almost invisible work of mental health and well-being. You know, you you share pretty openly that you had um, a lot of trauma from your childhood that you were working through. And I wonder how you see the relationship between mental health and physical health, as you also talk about you've dealt with migraines and have a chronic illness um, that you're you're managing. Where is that intersection coming up for you these days of taking real care of my mental health? And also acknowledging how connected it all is to my physical health and well-being. Health is wealth, whether it's uh, financially, whether it's in your career. I, like a lot of people these days, have really been struggling because a lot of my go-to self-soothing mechanisms that I tried to figure out aren't available. You know, I would see friends or a therapist or, you know, have my little tricks for triage, so to speak. And, you know, during these new normal times, I am not able to do that. And so I have to rethink too, you know, I suffer from migraine, as you mentioned, and it might be, but how meta is this? Like, yeah, as of migraine, you know, stress can bring that on. But there's a whole other level that I didn't account for until only recently that, you know, you don't feel like you want to complain because maybe somebody else is going through more stuff than you. And so that's been challenging for for me to figure out what that looks like. You know, like a lot of folks, I actually found out somebody on my team, I had no idea, also suffered from migraine. And I even felt embarrassed. I had to cancel something because I was like, really, really, really struggling. And it's not another headache. I think that's what Mm. people like have this misconception, right? Just drink water, just chill. I mean, I remember being on the air at CNN, like during breaking news, I would have to, you know, be under these hot studio lights and it would, you know, trigger me and like these long, stressful days. Now it's just a different kind of long, stressful day. And I, you know, was even feeling embarrassed to tell somebody that worked for me who also suffered from migraine, who found out only because I was doing this campaign. I teamed up, as you know, with Amgen and Novartis to talk about being about this because it's a disease that affects millions of us. I felt embarrassed to tell her this is actually an issue. And so if I'm feeling it, I know a lot of other people are. Absolutely. And it is, you know, a lot of chronic illnesses are invisible in a way in that it's hard for your colleagues who don't personally experience the same kind of illness to to relate, whether we're talking about mental health or something like suffering from migraine. I just wonder from a leadership standpoint, you know, you've got a team, you've got someone on your team who has migraines. My creative director struggles with migraines. And what's the 
boundary. You know what I mean? Like as a manager, as a leader, what do we want for ourselves and for our community members and for our loved ones to be able to say at work when that's the help that they need? If we feel that shame ourselves or that hesitancy to ask for help or ask for accommodations, I wonder like what we need to see in our leadership to make it safe and make it okay for everyone to say, this is not a personal failure to ask for help around an illness, whether we're talking about mental or physical illness. It's spot on. I mean, it's that shame, right? I think the only antidote for shame is truth. And it can be uncomfortable, especially you know, if you feel like you're sort of dropping the ball. This is actually how this conversation came up. Because I I said to her, like, what's going on with this particular project? Like, is everything okay? And she's like, well, I feel comfortable telling you about this because I know now through your campaign and your being vocal about migraine that I can confide in you, but I'm I'm really struggling today. I don't think I can get the social media thing or XYZ done. I felt bad too. It was like a whole combination of everybody feeling bad and feeling shame. Like, how could I not have known? And thank you for telling me. We took our working relationship to another level. And I feel grateful for that in some ways. And it's cliche and I hate cliches, but you kind of have to be the change, especially when you know, you have folks reporting to you. And so if there is an uncomfortable conversation, whether it's migraine, whether it's money, whether it's mental health or depression or burnout or PTSD or bipolar or whatever it is, like, go first. And so I think that whenever there's a tough conversation, I just go first. I'm like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours uh, because somebody has to go first when we're having these conversations. And I just got my million miler thing, by the way, which was hilarious because I haven't gotten on a plane in a long time, but I used to live on a plane basically. And, you know, they said that back in the day, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And it's true. You cannot be of service to anyone else if you are crashing and burning yourself. And I love that point you made about trust being at the heart of that conversation you had with your colleague, right? Because she was vulnerable enough to level with you about what was going on. You were mindful enough as a manager to say, hey, this isn't like you. What's happening? And I think there's a really important leadership lesson there for a lot of our audience who find themselves maybe in first-time management roles or aspiring to that level is to not assume anything. Everyone's depression, everyone's PTSD, anxiety disorder, or migraine experience looks different. And so I really want to just highlight the skill there and the strategy of, of, yes, we'll venture into this unknown territory of having this difficult conversation, imperfectly perhaps at times, not knowing what the perfect outcome is, but trusting that relationship and building trust by respecting your colleagues. I think that's what we really need, right, in the workplace is more and more of that. Yes. I mean, you and me both. I'm sitting in a dark closet right now because this is the state of our world. And I think it's the trust and it's the truth. And I think that if there is a positive silver lining, whatever you want to call it, to the chaos happening right now, it is that we feel more comfortable speaking our truth 
and showing up as like the work in progress and the masterpiece that we are at the same time. These vulnerable people who are just trying to figure it out. And I think, you know, the whole world is dealing with this at the same time, which I'm not sure, you know, girlfriends and I have this discussion. You tell me what you think. Like, is it better or worse that everyone is suffering? I'm not entirely sure. But I feel like we have more of a license to actually answer the how are you question more honestly versus it just being a throwaway. Like, I'm fine. No big deal. All good. That hustle life, you know? Um, Yeah. And so I think we can actually pause and say, you know what? I'm okay. Or like, I'm struggling today. And I think that's more acceptable now, which I am here for. I I mean, I think there are many people who are obviously struggling. We want to see our airlines back. We want to see our hospitality industries back. I want to see my favorite restaurants like survive and thrive through this uncertain time. And at the same time, the workplace will never be the same. I am confident that we will never fully go back to how things were and hopefully we'll go back stronger, right? We'll come back to a workplace where now that we've all seen our colleagues' living rooms and makeshift home offices and pets and children and in-laws crashing the Zoom screen behind them or whatever, you know, we will remember in a visceral way that the person who's in this office with me 9 to 5 has a wide and varied life outside of the office that I need to be not only respectful of, but just considerate of. And that's the world I want to live in. I think this has accelerated our acceptance that work-life balance is not a destination, but it's rather a philosophy, right? Approaching this idea of human capital management, of, of seeing human beings as beings first, not people who are simply there to do things you know, I got chills when you were talking about it because I never thought of it in that way, but you're absolutely right. You know, we're seeing the the humans that we're working with and for, and I think that will be a total game changer for the better. I certainly know that, you know, even bonding with a woman who works with me, you know, our relationship will never be the same. And I don't think that this would have happened had, you know, we not been put in this situation. So, listen, it's not going to go back to the same way for sure. Perhaps it will be better or let's at least find the better. And it reminds me of a topic in psychology that is so related to both money and everything else, which is scarcity mindset, right? And I know you love talking about finances as a form of power and self-actualization, which it totally is. When we're feeling scarce, and right now I think a lot of us are feeling scarce when it comes to safety and physical well-being and, uh, like you said, scarcity around the self-soothing habits that we might have had before that would set us up for a sustainable, happy, socially okay life. You know, that scarcity mindset can lead us to making short-term decisions out of fear instead of abundance. And I'm not like a huge fan of just think your way to abundance and you'll get there. But I wanted to ask you about your your approach given this pandemic? You know, where does money and health intersect? Because we all know that there are, there are, it takes funds, right? To like not have to be your child's full-time teacher right now on top of trying to pursue full-time work. And access to health can be a barrier if you don't have the funds to make it happen. So especially as we're talking about 
uh, looking at intersectional issues around racial justice and socioeconomic justice, knowing that you come from not necessarily what you would call wealth, right, in terms of your upbringing, where do you see that power and privilege dynamic playing out right now as we're navigating a pandemic? How can people at every level of the socioeconomic spectrum access health without necessarily having wealth to make it happen? You know, reaching out to community. And right now, I know intellectually, as you do, that having human contact, whether it's Zoom or whatever else, is actually going to make me feel better. But it's hard to sometimes do that. You just want to retreat and you just want to like curl in a little ball, fetal position. And so sometimes getting over that little hump. But I think that, you know, this idea of taking care of yourself first sounds great in theory. It's harder in practice. When it comes to money, I do actually like the concept of the law of attraction when it comes to finances, because even though it sounds counterintuitive, every time I give away more money, whether it's tipping more, like little things, doesn't have to be, you know, baking a building at, you know, my alma mater or whatever. And I find that when I'm more mindful, when it comes to business, more comes back my way. And we talk a lot about mindfulness when it comes to relationships or eating or all these things, but it's very rare that we talk about it when it comes actually to how we approach our careers. And I find that when I incorporate some of those lessons, whether it's from positive psychology or mindfulness or meditation or whatever into my business, then I actually feel and do better. But I have this crazy relationship with success. I actually had some work done with it where I did this exercise where I actually talked to success. And then I like switched chairs in this therapy session. And I was in success and then talked to Nicole. It was fascinating because they had like a really crazy relationship with success that I've had to reframe and rethink as an adult. Tell me more about that. Where do you think that came from? I think that, you know, I never really defined what success was. So I never felt like I had it. And, you know, I was going into my last book tour, for instance, I felt like a total imposter. I felt like, like imposter syndrome had come back yet again. I wrote an epilogue toward the very end toward publishing where I said I was on the verge of burnout yet again, even as I was going to press. And I was like, listen, this is not, I'm not only the writer of this book, but I'm a lifelong reader. And it's not like you're done. It's a, it's a pursuit of happiness. There's no like magic secret sauce to happiness. I certainly haven't found it, but it is, you know, it's a practice, it's called a practice for a reason and I'm practicing it too. And so Mm -hmm. I found that when I was in that place, I had to really define like, okay, why am I freaking out about success? Why am I freaking out that I'm not going to do well? And this woman that I went to go see, she was like, you've done this before. What does success mean? And I'm like, you know what? Success has kind of been my best friend. Like it's always been there for me. Anytime I had an issue with a relationship or whether it's family, friends, boy, work, whatever, like I would just dive more into work and work some more. And ultimately that kicks your butt. And so I had this really frank conversation with success that actually really helped me. And every time I feel overwhelmed, I'm like, you know, you know, this from the political world or business world, like if you don't have a metric, then you're never going to, right? So I'm like, how many appearances, how many sales, like what is it? Because, yeah, you know, if I'm not defining that, then I'm always going to feel 
like a failure. I am destined to feel that way. Yeah. And I think just the thought exercise of personifying success can be helpful in in defining what success really means to you. I love that exercise. Let's let's all do that. I, I would recommend it. <laughs> As someone who also writes about burnout prevention all the time, let me tell you, the imposter syndrome is lifelong. And whenever I find myself editing my life for the internet and being like, this is all great, everything's fine. Just the other weekend, I was like, hey, I should probably come on stories here on Instagram and show you I'm working through the weekend for the third weekend in a row, and this is not bossed up of me at all. This is like not what I preach at all, and here's why it's happening. Here's how I'm feeling about it, and just leveling with people that once you are officially on the record as someone who's like here to help other people prevent burnout, the the stakes feel very high. (laughs) You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. Well, final question for you. During these unprecedented times, to use the word that we're all sick of hearing. What, Nicole, are you doing just to care for you right now? Thank you so much for asking me that. For me right now, I'm trying to figure out how to get blackout shades, for instance. You know, that's really helped me with migraine. I know that that doesn't sound like the mani-pedi that people often uh, equate with self-care. I actually don't you know, think that we should fall into that um, idea that self-care is like deep tissue massages and mani-pedis, which listen, I love a good mani-pedi, but I think taking care of yourself, going to therapy, going to trauma therapy, never a fun day for that. You know, I was doing this recently, you know, I'm moving in. And so I have a thousand things to do um, in my new place. And so I thought, do I prioritize like getting this new wallpaper done? (laughs) Or do I do blackout shades that are less sexy? And when people come over, they're not going to know that they're there, but they actually just help me. And so I'm doing that for me. It is a thing that might not necessarily translate to everybody, but whatever your blackout shades are, I would suggest do that. It's those things that, you know, are self-care that might not be the sexiest things necessarily to talk about. Totally. I love that. I mean, self-care does not have to be sexy. Let's just say that loud and clear. And if you can spend 40 bucks on blackout shades on Amazon or Target to like self-care your way to better sleep, do it. Like that is where I think... If money can help you make your life better right now, spend the damn money. Uh, And if you don't, that's the thing. This is where this intersects with class, right? Like if you are the kind of person who is struggling with migraine, who feels like they can't seek out mental or physical doctors, right? Actual medical care because you're out of work, you lost your health insurance. That's where this gets especially nuanced and troublesome and complicated. Uh, And asking for help is like the only possible next step. I've been humbled lately to say, you know what? I'm going to work on my sleep by putting my phone in my kitchen every night to charge there instead of at my bedside. And that's a game changer for me. Um, But I'm also going to help my own sleep patterns by spending 50 bucks on a fancy wake-up lamp alarm clock because my phone's not in my bedroom anymore. So, you know, if you have some coin to throw at your self-soothing right now, do it in a in a responsible way, right? But do it. Totally. I think that we should try to not beat ourselves up over, you know, spending the emergency fund or the rainy day fund because it's raining. Like it's pouring, it's raining, yes. it's hurricaning, it's all the things. And that's what it's there for. So 
Amen. I think that's a great place to end on. Nicole, we've got links in today's show notes to your three fantastic books, including Becoming Superwoman. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. I just really appreciate you sharing your story and some of your time and thoughts with us. I appreciate you. That's awesome to get to know you. Thanks, Emily. If you loved today's conversation as much as I did, head to bossedup.org slash episode 272. Now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. This week, I want to give a hearty shout out to Fiona, who shared this in the Bossed Up Courage community. She writes, I had two interviews this week. Yesterday, I was offered one of the jobs and given a second interview for the other. I'm proud of myself for sticking to my job search slash career pivot even in a pandemic, and I am very excited to leave my old job behind and start something new. I also fought for a writer this week who I believed wasn't being given the same chances as others, and now she's been given another opportunity to work on her script. Way to lift as you climb, Fiona. I love this Fierce Friday check-in in the Courage community because it gives me hope. It gives us a reason to acknowledge that even though certain industries, hospitality comes to mind, airlines come to mind, are really still struggling right now. I'm working with a ton of job seekers who are navigating pivots, who are in industries that haven't struggled nearly as much in this bizarre economic time we have. And it's still possible to stick your pivot. It's still possible to launch a strategic, targeted, mindful, and effective job search. And in fact, that's exactly what myself and our brand new team of Bossed Up Job Search coaches help our clients do through Hired, our three-month job search accelerator. If you're considering a job change and don't know where to start, or you've been searching for a while and just are not seeing the results you want, head over to bossedup.org slash get hired and sign up for an exploratory call to see if Hired is right for you. It's not right for everyone and we will level with you. Kirby, our marketing director, and I always keep it real with you. If it's not right, we have tons of other resources to send you to or to refer you to. But if it is the right program for you, you do not want to sleep on this. We've been selling out our hired cohorts two months in advance. And that's part of the reason why we just brought on two new incredible job search coaches who are here to help. Um, again, head to bossedup.org slash get hired to learn more. And congrats, Fiona. Damn, woman, this is like a huge achievement. Not only are you moving to another round for one, but you got an offer this week that is so exciting, so encouraging, and way to lift as you climb at your job that you're leaving behind. It's always good to know that people, even when they're already checked out themselves, are still thinking about others in the workplace that they're leaving. So way to be a boss, Fiona. But I'd love to hear from you. What did you think about this interview? What are you thinking about your own personal well-being, mental health-wise and physical health-wise during this pandemic? And if you're one of the millions of people who is struggling to balance a chronic illness with somehow working through a pandemic without dropping a ball, tell me what's going on in your world. I want to hear from you. Check in with me in the Boss Up Courage community on Facebook. I'll drop a link to that in today's show notes. Tag me on Instagram and let's be friends on Instagram at bossedup.org or at Emily Aries or comment in today's corresponding blog post at bossedup.org slash 272. In the meantime, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose and let's carry forth the original motto of our nation's first black women's advocacy organization and lift as we climb.
you kind of have to be the change, especially when, you know, you have folks reporting to you. And so if there is an uncomfortable conversation, whether it's migraine, whether it's money, whether it's mental health or depression or burnout or PTSD or bipolar or whatever it is, like, go first. And so I think that whenever there's a tough conversation, I just go first. I'm like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours, uh, because somebody has to go first when we're having these conversations. And, you know, they said that back in the day, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And it's true. You cannot be of service to anyone else if you are crashing and burning yourself. 